Welcome again to uh, Touch Heaven, those online, those who have joined us late, those in the house, thank you for coming. It's so good to see some of our old friends. You really touched my heart. It means a lot to me. I don't know if this means anything to you, but yesterday I sat in that chair right over there with the lights out praying for a while. I like sneaking in here by myself, and I actually prayed that the Lord would bring old friends back. And... Uh, that, that may sound small and trite to you, but you see, I look for those little things that the Lord does to enforce uh, that sometimes we wonder, are we speaking to airwaves? Um, and so it means a lot. Thank you so much. And those of you, uh, welcome again to beautiful family. And uh, those who couldn't come today, you're home. This is your house. Those who are widespread, um, so let's just cover this in prayer a moment, and I'm going to just do an introduction today because uh, this topic is, is pretty deep and pretty long. Father, we thank you, Lord, for just the presence of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in this house that you are moving and weaving in and about us, even as your word said, that, Father, that you hold this lampstand in your hands. And that, Father, we understand that that is a precious opportunity, a precious gift, and a precious responsibility. Father, help us lay a foundation this morning and something that we can begin a journey on together that opens our eyes to the present and to what is to come. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word is everlasting that your written word and your rhema word, Father, just resonates inside of our spirit. And it is as if it were a, a cosmic touching of heaven and earth. So we've come to touch, Lord, here at Touch Heaven. And we thank you, Lord, that you be glorified. You alone be glorified, Father. Let truth be our shield. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand for what he's done already, please. He's already done something amazing, something very amazing. I want you to get this image in your mind, if you will, and allow it to soak into your spirit. And as we move into this message revealed, which is the mystery of the seven angels and the seven lampstands. Yes, it's historical, but more so it's present and future. And it very much pertains to you and I and where we can see uh, everything is going right now and how do we stand and walk in that. It says in the scripture, in the book of Revelation chapter 1, you haven't heard me preach or teach out of that very often. In fact, almost never. Because, you see, I believe that when we try to knit all of those pieces together in the book of Revelation, uh, we sort of lose the context of what God is doing in the present, what he's already done and what he's going to do. And uh, so far in my studies, and I, I do study, I haven't found one person that's got it right yet. I have found a lot of people that think they got it right, and a whole bunch of people that teach, um, and it's good to teach in it, uh, 
it's good to, to be able to lift out of it the jewels that are there for us and apply them to the present and to get a glimpse of the future. But when we try to make it like a road map, as if we were going to AAA and going to plan our trip uh, away from the area, that's when we get in trouble. Because as we weave it in with the prophets, um, as you would say, the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, and we weave it in with the Gospels, we understand that really it's dynamic and it's organic. And that means that it's a process that is moving forward and it's organically growing and moving and adjusting uh, to us as we flow. One of the things that isn't often taught enough is how conditional God is. God can say something, but if we aren't obedient, we can miss what he has said. And I am never amazed more than recently with all the lashback that came against me. Some of it, and it's good, by the way. I like that. I can take it. I'm, I've got Teflon skin when it comes to that stuff. Because when, when the Lord tells me to speak something and put it out there, I've learned a long time ago, I'm not the gatekeeper of that. He is. Um, and I'm to be obedient. But it's interesting to me how people fail to realize that, you know, God's perfect will isn't oftentimes met by us. I think more often than not, we miss it. I think more often than not, we're outside of the perfect will of God. And that's why he's adjusted to us with grace, with love. And the fact that even though we didn't head down that straight path all the way, God sort of, you know, works the crooks out and he adjusts it. And his grace and his love brings us back into the fold that he wants us to be at. So this imagery, John was exiled, and he was one of the sons of Zebedee. He was one of the thons, sons that thought he was, you know, really going to be hitting the bong up in the heavenly places, you know, just boing, boing, gonging away. And he gonged away right to a place called the Isle of Patmos, and it's sort of outside that whole area of these churches that he's talking about in Revelation 2 and 3. If you look at him counterclockwise, he begins with the church of Ephesus, and he ends with the church of Laodicea, and in Asia Minor, it goes like this, Ephesus all the way up through to the seventh church up here, counterclockwise. Now, that may not mean much to you, but it means a lot to me because I look at the little things that God buries in the mysteries of the Word of God. Why would God choose these seven churches in this place, stick John on an island outside of them, where he might have some contact with them, but yet he's so remote that he really can only be separated unto God, and then put the message out on that horn that went around, which was these seven churches and seven cities that had many people coming to and from them because of the lure of the world. And so that message disseminated and went out, interestingly, counterclockwise. Was he turning back the time or turning up the time? Was it counterclockwise because he wanted us to not try and put a formula on it? Was it counterclockwise because John ate some pizza that night and didn't get it right? Was it counterclockwise because he wants to understand that God himself, 
He's the one who pinpoints things. And in this vision, this unfolding vision, and he told him to write it on tablets. I don't know about you, but I think if we were just to copy the book of Revelation and all of its chapters and reprint it from what he already wrote, I think we'd be there a long time. I'm not sure how long it would take us to get it done, but he's having this vision and writing it down. How long did this vision take? Was it a day, a week, or was he lost in time, which is what I think? Was he totally taken away from the physical realm of the environment and his mindset and put in a heavenly place that had no time, which he himself says? And he's trying to explain things, and, and he's trying to grasp things, and he's trying to put it in the light of what he already knows from his experience on life and measure it according to the time, and, and the Lord just keeps throwing him these amazing mysteries so that you and I at a time like this and others can be triggered and activated by these words when they have meaning to us. You see, I think it's so meaningless when we get into prophecy to try and determine specifically when God intends it to be vague enough that when it happens, we shouldn't miss it. Because when we pinpoint it too much, unless He tells us to, then we sort of wonder, did we get it? Didn't we get it? Was that it? Or is that not it? Or what happened? Good people of God put dates and times on things that were supposed to happen. You know, 1984, and we were going to have a rapture, and things were going to come, and Christ was going to come, and they, they don't even live anymore. And they got a nice little correction when they got to heaven because of His grace. But look at this. Look at the one thing John saw, and we'll get into the scriptures a little bit later. I'm laying a foundation. So we're going to have a little imagery this morning. And the one thing that he saw was he saw Jesus. And he described how he was dressed. And I can imagine that, you know, John sitting there with his clothes worn out, probably not smelling very good, probably deprived of all kind of things sitting on that Isle of Patmos, probably wondering why was he put there? Was he there to just preach to prisoners? Was that the end of it for him? He wasn't there anymore to go about like the ones had gone before him. What was this about? And by the way, this was like around 96. And so... You have John, and he sees this image of Jesus Christ, and I'm sure his heart lit up. I mean, first of all, you're already in exile, and you're lonely, so it's happy to see anybody that he could relate to, I'm sure. He was on this island with murderers and rapists and, 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 and pedophiles, and just imagine where they would exile these people and just let them go at each other under the worst conditions, just set aside and there he is, probably hungering and thirsting for the things of God. And Jesus appears to him and tells him, now capture these things, write them down. And what does he see in the very beginning? He sees him as with seven angels in his hands. And he says that he saw him moving and walking amidst the seven churches. He didn't just see the seven churches. He saw Jesus moving and walking in the midst of each one of those churches. 
And that brought it alive to him. It was as if he was there with him and able to understand and see through the eyes of Christ into what Christ was seeing in these churches. And we shall see and study and understand that each one of these messages that he had to the seven churches are not historical only. They're also for the present time and prophetic for the entire body of Christ. Because the body of Christ at that time was very finite. It wasn't big. It wasn't blossoming to the whole four corners of the earth. There wasn't even an understanding who lived in the other corners of the earth. They hadn't been able to go that far. It took centuries until people began to discover that there was even a North America, let alone a South America and and, in Australia. They didn't know that. But yet this word was planted in there so that as the body of Christ grows and grew, that it would be applicable not only to churches, but the ecclesia, the body of Christ. And then Jesus, in his wonderful way, through the Holy Spirit, he applies it to every member of the body of Christ. Each one of us. And today, (coughs) today the Spirit is crying out, the time is at hand. Now he says in there, the time is at hand, right? Right in the beginning. The time is at hand. But the time wasn't at hand, but it was at hand. It was at hand for those in the seven churches who had these issues that Christ was exposing and magnifying and talking about. But it was made so that when we saw the hand going backwards hit the time at hand, that we say, oh my. The time is at hand. And in my spirit, that's what's triggered. The time is at hand. And all those scriptures about in that day. How many of you have read in that day? Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zechariah, in the prophets, in the gospels themselves, in Matthew 24 and 25, and in Timothy and Thessalonians, and even in Jude. There's a comment, what Enoch saw and what was going to happen, it was for that day, returning with tens of thousands of angels in that day. And the book of Revelation all focuses to in that day, in that time. Can you get the visual of Jesus walking in your midst right now, whispering, in that day? This is the day the Lord has made. In that day. When we can grasp that reality, then we begin to understand the eager expectation of what is before us and appreciate more what is happening in this day now. And also, we get a better understanding and clarification about ourselves, what we can do, what we should try to do, and what we don't have to do. And a lot of it is to just let the noise go out of our heads. Interesting for me, as we came into the first of the year and out of this election process, which captured everything and everybody, even around the world, I'm getting messages from Germany and England and other places that are still holding on to the United States election. It's like, wow. And the Lord said, stop the noise. Stop the noise. Put your focus on me. Because Jesus, he has the seven angels in his hand. 
And the seven angels are messengers now. They could have been the pastors, the shepherds of that time in those churches. They could be pastors and shepherds now in our churches and in the body of Christ. They could be angels. But one thing we know they are is messengers. And the Lord leaves some of this stuff so vague so that it will apply as it's supposed to apply as we go. And we do well not to try and put God in a box to conform to our own eschatologies, our own theologies, our own desires and wants instead of who he really is. And if we want to come to rest, we come to rest when we jump in the water and we let the current take us. That's when we come to rest. We haven't been created to swim upstream in the Spirit of God. We've been created to flow with the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit. So, part of what inspired this, we're going to deal with this quickly, and then we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 33 and 34, and that's about as far as we'll get. We will deal with the seven churches and the message to the seven churches, and he who has an ear, let him hear. We will deal with a lot of the other challenges that are in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We will look and see how does it apply today to you and I and to the body of Christ. What is the Lord doing? What should we expect? And maybe if we're really introspective, we'll look and see what's out of alignment, both with ourselves and in the body of Christ. So, a few weeks back, on a Saturday morning, very early, I got a text from an old friend. We don't stay in touch that often. You would know him. His name is Lance Wall now. And Lance asked me, Frank, what are you seeing? <laughs> wow. Now, he knows what I had already said. He knows that I had told people, if you want to run around the whole country, jump it on board, that this election's going to be overturned and everything's going to be done. You go do what you're supposed to do. The Lord has told me not to and that it's a waste of time. I told people I'm not going to go and had invitations to Washington because it was a waste of time. The Lord said, son, look beyond that. You see, God deals in seasons. God's seasons aren't man's terms and ours. And so if God wants to do something and drop it and pick it back up, that's God's business. And if God wants to do a curing process in us and get our focus again back on Him, then that's His business. So here's what I wrote. This is what I wrote back to him. I said, hi, my brother. All is well. <laughs> All is well. Isn't it interesting that people are grieving more over the election than they're grieving over lost loved ones? Isn't it amazing that that grieving process is still going on when the Lord says, rest in me? Do we not trust Him? Do we not know Him? Are we not preparing ourselves and getting ready for a, a great, grosser darkness that's coming upon the earth? Because if that's going to shake our boots, 
How are we going to stand in the evil times that are before us? Believe it or not, the Lord's entire will and process isn't the United States of America. He's got a kingdom. And His kingdom has many nations inside of it. So many that He said these are kindreds and kindreds and tongues from all nations. How many of you know that God loves that person that barely knows how to spell his name in the deepest part of the earth, farthest far away, struggling to just get a clean cup of water in the day and something to eat once every couple days? How many of you know God loves that person as much as he loves somebody in the White House? How many of you know that he cares as much about that soul that he gave his only begotten son to save that soul as much as he does the church in the United States of America. How many of you know that our allegiance, yes, as citizens of this nation is to a country, but our citizenship is in heaven? And that's a kingdom that we call to come here on earth. And trust me when I tell you, when Jesus comes, as Enoch himself said, with tens of thousands of angels, they will not be carrying the flag of the United States of America. And they're not going to come in Apache helicopters or on Air Force One. They're going to follow the one who's lifted up on a white horse, who's coming in the righteousness of God. And he's got the seven angels and the seven lampstands in his hand. And there's something else about those hands. How big are the hands of Christ? Am I the only one who thinks that way? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. You know what else he has in those hands? Your name. He says, I have put your name into the palms of my hand and it's ever before me, I will never forget you. How big are those hands? That's how much he cares about everybody and everything. How arrogant we are to think that the kingdom has to move around the church in the United States. Really? You see, I think God is pouring out more of his miracle power on the missionaries and the evangelists and the pastors in the suppressed countries of this world than he is here in this country because they're hungry for it. They need it. They can't run to emergency or the urgent care and ask Dr. Bing to help them out. Unique guy, he can pray for them and help them medically. We run. For medical help. We run to a counselor. We run to each other looking for a message, for a word. I learned a little bit about Bitcoin. My grandson's been teaching me some. He and I are going to start a business together. We're probably going to get broke together. We're not putting much money into it, but we're going to have a a little business that invests in stock, and he's going to be the manager, and I'm going to learn. And if he loses all the money, I told him it's real simple. It's like servitude. You just have to work for me till you get it all back. But if he makes the money, we split it. Yeah. 
But I learned a little bit about Bitcoin and, you know, I'm, I'm a little late on it. I'm a little late on it. I remember some people telling me to buy this and buy that a long time ago. And I guess if you had, you'd have been really wealthy now. But it's like the lottery. I'm never going to hit it because I never play it. But if you hit it, remember me. And remember the church. Like Bitcoin, you have to mine it. How do you mine it? They get these super computers. And they link them all together. And they consume tremendous amounts of capacities of electricity. And they go to a digital code that goes out almost forever. And finally, they lock into something on this code, and it's called a coin. And when you mine that coin, you get it, but you get it with a password. And the password is so unique and so strange that if you forget the password, you'll never find it again, and you'll lose the Bitcoin. You mine it to find it. Isn't it interesting that in the same way that there are treasures hidden in the midst of an atmosphere that's called a cloud and everything else, so are there treasures hidden for you deep, deep in the life of the Lamb and His book. And on his hands is all of his plans and purposes for you and me. And the amazing thing about it is everybody's there that has been called and chosen and answers the call. Caveat. Many are called. Few are chosen. You see, I'm a cheerleader for everybody that's doing something for God. There was a time I allowed myself to be critical, and I thank God he got me through that. Right? And I'm a cheerleader. Whatever their message is, I didn't hear that, did you? That's, that's like a rebellious spirit, I think. Lord, Lord, Lord. I think it came from Glenn. Glenn, was that you? boy. Take one for the team. Yeah. Glenn and I have been together a long time. How long, Glenn? About 40-some years. Praise God. You're getting old, Glenn. I'm, I'm young yet. <laughs> now, where was I at before I got interrupted? No, it was before that. Come on. A cheerleader. Yes. I'm a cheerleader for all of the the people of God and leadership that are calling for a great awakening, and, and that's a wonderful thing. You know, I want to see everybody get evangelized and, and the whole world get saved, and, you know, it's all good no matter what the message is to get there, and we need to evangelize, and God cares about souls, but the word I read keeps saying it's a remnant that God's using in these last days. And to that remnant, he has one theme, come out. At first I thought it was just come out of sin, come out of the world, but now I've realized that it's also to come out of an apostate church. It's to come out of churches that Jesus branded as he spoke about the seven churches. 
of things that he spoke about and said that you've done some good things, but I'm somewhat against you, and if you have an ear, hear it. And then we realize that it means we cannot have an ear and miss it. So I would love to revel and say that, you know, the world's just going to get better because of our efforts and we're going to have a utopian world, but that's not what it says. It says that the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket unless Jesus cuts the day short to save the elect, the remnant. That's what it says. It also says we're to go therefore through all the nations preaching the gospel, showing signs and wonders, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But God calls whom He calls. But who are we to think that we can go out and minister the treasures of God when we have issues ourselves? Who are we to think that we're going to set the path for the world out of the Western church, out of the United States, when we have faith leaders that are blind, leading the blind. There is a remnant. God says, I've saved a remnant all of my life. I want to focus on that in this series. I want us to understand that what's required of us as membership in that remnant. I want us to begin to be those that go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis when the laws of creation were established for us and that mystery was revealed for us and whatever God created, He said, let every kind bring forth its own kind. Remnant kind bring forth remnant kind. The Holy Spirit anoints remnant kind to find remnant kind. So here's what I wrote, a little bit sophomoric. It would be better in a book, but I'm going to read it. I said, hi, my brother, all is well. I'm focused on the kingdom and pointing to prepare the way. Is there a path to bring unity of purpose and passion to the kingdom of God? and his truth into this fractured and spiritually bipolar body of Christ. My prayer, my burden, I confess it's, I feel like I'm pushing a boulder up a mountain, but somehow I'm fully persuaded that we are about to experience within this diversity of the church much more divine refinement to turn our baldness and nakedness into the clothing of the Lord. There's a fire that's been set. It's brewing with a greater intensity and it has a friction to it. I don't know what to call it, so I'll call it the super spirit shift that is stirring and removing and exiling and refining and cleansing, rendering some hot and hotter exposing that which is lukewarm. Is this the forever preached and long awaited and expected judgment in the house of God? Is it about to manifest in a bold fashion? But yet I know 
There's a greater glory anointing that's pouring out upon those who really choose to walk into the fire. Gross darkness is creeping over the earth. And the end time glory is pouring out upon those, the remnant, who will receive and contain the essence of His Spirit in our broken vessels. Lance's response to me. So well said, Frank. What are the categories you see yet undivided? My answer. Essentially, Lance, there's a remnant that's embedded within the spiritual diaspora and the membership that's scattered the disparate church, the faith affiliations, people that are being called out to become aware of one another who are joining in the common cause to prepare the way of the Lord. This is a fire-branded people, a new creation creature that is willing to break free from religious, denominational, cultural, and dogma talismans which are rituals and traditions. Some are coming to the light fresh and they're not hindered by the prophecies and eschatology of misguided doctrines throughout the ages and the agendas of man and religion. Some are breaking out and they're getting loosed from the yokes that entangle them. And I reference Ezekiel 34. I guess we'll get to it next week. However we come, however we come, we fill the ranks of the saints called overcomers. That's who we are. And the litmus test is the revelation of Jesus Christ. As declared in the book of Revelation by John, specifically in the third verse, in his opening salutation, blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time in capital letters, for the time is at hand. And this is the mystery of the seven stars and the seven candlesticks. It is, if you will, a cosmic touching of heaven and earth that is fulfilling in this present hour. The Spirit of Christ, He's walking. He's walking through the categories of churches and His message to each of the seven churches when we take it in all of its totality, composite, reveals to us the call for revival within the body of Christ as we call for it outside the body of Christ from a spirit that is blind and dead. And within the separate fragments, specifying each spiritual sickness and disease and malady that we need to repent of and transform. We clearly receive the command from the eternal commander-in-chief who speaks to us personally 
and as the ecclesia to the dysfunction that he's trying to fix and repair. And to each believer that heeds the call and responds with genuine passion and truth, then the rank of overcomer is anointed. And the access to the assurances and power that is ascribed to the overcomer for this hour, the power that we need, a special anointing that's been reserved for such a time as this to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, unlike anything released upon believers on earth before this time. New, fresh manna, as the psalmist cried out, corn from heaven to plant the seeds. And it will last in ears of kernels that can be broken and scattered. It becomes evident that the people of the fragments must be joined in the unity of prayer and purpose that is ours to prepare for the bride of Christ to be received by Jesus the groom. Somehow, mysteriously, miraculously, wondrously, without spot or wrinkle, oh my God. What a responsibility. A long answer, Lance, to your inquiry. A spiritual diaspora of overcomers is embedded within the organic church system who are being called to feed and to serve in a green pasture. Once again, Ezekiel 34. What do you think, my brother? No response. I don't want to leave us dangling on a fierce message that resonates with despondence or lack of hope. No, to the contrary. I'm fired up. I want to get more fired up. I want to preach this message till the Lord takes me home to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. It's what he raised me to do and what he's raised you to do. We're the ones called at a very special time, unlike anything else, since God created the species man, both male and female. We're the ones who are receiving the anointing, the anointing to overcome the greatest darkness on earth there has ever been, the one that is intended to destroy the world and everything in it, even the believers, if God wouldn't cut the days short. It doesn't mean we're going to fail. No, to the contrary. Those who know their God shall do great exploits. It means that we're going to knock down bigger giants. It means that we're going to cast out bigger devils. It means that we're going to get healings and miracles and signs and wonders that will follow us everywhere we go, unlike anything seen on earth before, because... God is raising up his remnant. And God's plans and purposes for you are good. But it comes with a condition. And that condition is whom shall we serve? Fast forward. We'll get to it. I'm going to close with this. He gives a description 
of the woman of the world. We're the bride, but there's another bride. The devil always, always will countermeasure everything God does. What do you think cancel culture is? It's his response to God saying, I cancel your history and I give you a new life. So what they want to do, when I say they, I'm not putting a brand, a political party, a person on it. It's a spirit. It's demonic. It's not so much about patriotism. It's about trying to get our minds set so that we become comfortable being married to the woman called Babylon in Revelation. You know, early on in my days, in that precious time on Selma Avenue when I was locked up with the Lord and me and the Lord alone, not worried about time or date or electricity or power or food or anything, not even water, it all went by the wayside. Just me and the Lord. One of the visions He gave me, and I didn't quite understand it at the time, He gave me a vision of that woman called Babylon. And when she first appeared in front of me, she had on glamour and jewels and adornment and looked young. I remember seeing a skin that was soft. And it was at once both white and pink and brown. And I said, oh, is this a good thing? Is this the culture of the world? Is this... And then before my very eyes, it began to change. And that woman began to crack in front of me and became very aged and wrinkled and then naked. And as I sought the Lord for the meaning and the understanding, he said, son, that is the great whore Babylon. And she's seducing the world. And the kings of the world, listen to me, the kings of the world will all buy in. He said, the day will come when your message will be come out of her. I always thought it was going to be to the unbelieving world. It never dawned on me it was to the body of Christ. Come out of her. Stop compromising. Stop changing the laws of the Lord. Stop calling good evil and evil good. So the message to us first and to everybody, come out of her. Come out of her. Come out of her. To the body of Christ, come out of her. To the pastors and shepherds, come out of her. To elderships and boards and denominations and religions, come out of her. Come out of her. Come out of her. And so, if the Lord allows next week, I want to give you a graphic look 
what the Lord sees right now in the body of Christ. Not in the world. Ezekiel 34. What God is doing and is going to do right now. The time is at hand. The time is at hand. It's a good word unless we resist. And then it's a tough word. It's a wonderful world if we accept and submit. It's a terrible word if we run from it and hide it and ignore it. And that's the final word to the church of Laodicea. I will spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm. Lukewarm. But then, some very good words to Smyrna and a few others. I like what you're doing. Times are going to get tough, but hold on. I like what you're doing. I got you. I'm with you. You'll overcome. You'll win. I got you. In my hands. Lord, let your word resonate true. Let us not be in a hurry and a rush, Father, to lay down a foundation. Because, Lord, we know we're at a crossroads. We're crossroads in our personal lives. We're at a crossroads as a ministry in a church. We're at a crossroads as the body of Christ. And your word to us is, choose which path you will follow now. For, Lord, I suspect that for those of us who know better, it's going to be so much harder to get back on the right path when we make the wrong choices. Be gracious with us, Father. Be merciful. Thank you for your patience. (laughs) You tell us this is the patience of the saints to overcome. How can we do it, Father, unless you're first patient with us? Be long-suffering. Be good. Thank you, Father, for the immeasurable string of countless miracles in our life, one after the other, the things we take for granted and that we haven't even comprehended that you're doing by the day for us. The accident that might have happened that we never knew about because you delayed our time by one minute. the relationships you've put into our lives to help us change and strengthen. The small things, the immeasurable things, and the big things. Thank you for all of it, Lord. Father, we're going to say this because you tell us to come come quickly, Lord Jesus, but Father, don't come so quick that you catch us wrong. Let us get right. Let many more get right, Father. And I guess, Lord, in the eons of time that come and go through you, that you're eternal and infinite, doesn't matter much, but 
I guess we can cry out, come quickly and quickly to you. Can be any measure of time. But Father, is it in our lifetime? Is the time at hand? I think so. Be blessed, Lord. Bless us. Let us bless you. Call forth the remnant, O God. Let us bump into each other and know each other. Let us feel comfortable with one another. Let there be unity of plan and purpose to prepare the way for your coming. Let us be bold and gentle, strong and timid. Let us be prosperous and giving. Healthy, Lord, strong. In Jesus' name. Amen.